All right, folks, it is Thursday. You know what that means. Another episode of the Stewcast, and we got a doubleheader today. Coming up on the show, we're going to head to the hardwood and welcome back Eric Haslam of Haslam Metrics. Get you prepped for the upcoming Sweet 16 Elite Eight games. We're going to dive into all the teams and, and kind of break down what they're doing good and what they're doing bad. But before we do that, we're going to lead off with uh, a couple guys. That's the nicest thing I can say about them. Um, they're guys that that play races and they they do that. So I I don't want to. Mama told me don't say anything bad if you don't you know if you don't got anything good to say. So Tyler Hoffman, Rob Romano, uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Rob, first time, long time, I think today. Yeah. I've, I've always listened to your show. Like I said, I really like the preview shows that you do, especially, you know, you do the, uh, you did the one with NFL with Swift hitter. That was really good where you called the Redskins, which yeah. I almost drove off the road. Cause usually I listen at work. And, uh, but you <laughs> well, guess what? Hey, Swift, Swifty's coming back and I got him teed up, man. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And uh, I just really enjoy the show, man. You guys do a good job. I like when you preview the pick fours and pick fives and, I'm just like any average Joe out there, just a degenerate horse player. And, you know, that's it, man. I just enjoy it. Hey, man, you know, it, it's 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 great. This is what the show's about. And uh, having folks like you on is is phenomenal. Um, and then, unfortunately, we have to segue uh, to Tyler Hoffman. Um, I guess he's okay at picking horses. Um, Tyler, how are you? I'm doing well, Stu. I mean, are, are we not going to tell the listeners about how you were crying and whining throughout our whole pick four and pick five hit last Saturday? We're we just going to pretend that didn't happen. Is this one of those hundred dollar tickets that only pays two hundred dollars and you Venmo me fifty? Is that what it's going to be? And then what happened? I sat there. I took it for two and a half hours. I had to listen to this, and then all of a sudden, all oh, everything was fine when it pays fifteen hundred. <laughs> Silence. That's what it is. Silence. Dodgers lost today, four to three. Uh, let's get into handicapping. A big, a big card here. Uh, Friday, late pick four. Figured, you know, this guy. Let's see if he's hot. Let's. Uh, we're gonna heat check him here, NBA Jam style. First race, uh, race five, post time six fifteen on the East Coast, also known as the Best Coast. Uh, mile and eighth on green stuff they call grass could be something different made in special weight uh tyler i'll let you kick it off since uh rob's probably got a better horse this is the way i want to tee him up tyler what are you thinking here buddy first off who calls it east coast best coast it's west coast best coast number one i don't think that's true i'm pretty sure i think you just need to go to quigley's corner Hey, sure hey, how about that? I'd take the West Coast of China over the West Coast. Okay. I'm going back to Sanity Race 5 before we get off, off topic here. Uh, this is the main race at a, at a mile and an eighth. And the one thing everyone knows when you're handicapping this race is you have, you have a bunch of perennial maidens. Uh, everyone's coming out of basically the common race on February 14th, in which they, they crawled in the middle stage of the race, that, that internal the middle internal fractions were 25 and one and then 24 and three. So the front markers had a big advantage that day. With that said, 
I kind of hate everybody coming out of that race. And I'm going to do something with my top pick in here that I don't normally do, which is I'm going to go to the three horse Warbird. Warbird, one of the reasons that I like this horse so much is off of the tape. That looks like a very vanilla performance when you look at the PPs. Do yourself a favor and go back and watch the replay of this race. This was a no chance trip. He raced uncovered six, seven horses deep down the entire backstretch and had every reason to quit in the lane. Instead, kept trying on and this gallop out. You have to watch it all the way to the end of the video. I mean, you got to watch it 10, 15 seconds afterwards. This was a very, very nice eye-catching gallop out. You get the services of Umberto Rispoli hopping aboard today. You get 12 to 1. The thing that makes me leery about it is it is a three-year-old facing older, and I don't typically like three-year-olds facing older horses this early in the year. Uh, but because everybody in here, like I said, is perennial maidens, I think this is a live long shot and a good one to include in the pick four. So Warbird's my top pick, and then uh, after we hear Rob's selection, we'll come back and I'll talk about who else should be included in this pick four uh, sequence to kick things off. I don't know if it's a kiss of death, but Warbird was my pick in this race. Ah, you just heard me say that and now you made it. I top. didn't. Uh, I didn't. No, I picked it because it had a cool name and I liked the number three. Uh, Rob, <laughs> what do you think? Are, are you are you going, are you jiving with me and uh, the Tiger Woods knockoff over here? You know what? I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I hate to have my first pick on the show be a chalk, but I got to tell you, I just, I, I really like the one in here. I, I mean, his race at uh, Santa Anita was very good. And I'm a big John Sheriff's fan. I, I like him when he gets a horse. He sits on him for a little while. He got him from Albatroni. Asmussen had him before that. He raced, I mean, second time, you know, <clears throat> se second time out. He, he's just really good numbers. Um, I, I really think he's going to be tough to beat in here. I mean, it's... The two is a five-year-old. I mean, it's really a bad field. If I'm gonna single, I'm gonna single the one. I, you know, I, I hate to take a favorite like that, but no, that's that's fine. I mean, you know, it's hard the, to the, the other one that's a little interesting is the eight. Phil D'Amato is very sharp. I, I mean, he's another guy when he gets a horse, he got this horse off of Gail Cox. He raced him two, he had him two months, he races him one time. He didn't race great. But second time with him, uh, takes the blinkers off. He's definitely got a shot, too. I mean, this is a tough field. You know, this is a field where in a pick five, I, I, just, I just don't like to get uh, too slick in here and take a long shot or something like that. I'd rather just spread in another race where I think there's a little more value. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I'd also throw in... Uh... Is on Easy Street? Is that is that a horse that any of you guys looked at? Because I think this one is it's uh, a case of maybe it just likes two turns. I did know last time when I watched the replay, he had him sitting last on the rail on the inside, and then turn it for home. He swung out wide. They were only going a mile. I I hate when horses are on the rail like that behind. I just feel like, especially on the turf course at Santa Anita. The way that thing plays, you know, if you're not within three, four lengths, turn it for home. Very rare that you're uh, getting up to win it. So I, you know, I, I definitely think he has a shot. I, I don't like on Easy Street for a couple of reasons. The the trip Rob just mentioned is exactly correct. I mean, that was a Drayden Van Dyke special, and I say that tongue in cheek, and <laughs> that this horse was being grabbed early on and was kept behind horses, and he was in a bad spot. I mean, he basically had no chance. 
you take a look at the closing fraction last race, they came home in 22 and four fifth seconds uh, for the final quarter mile. So basically anybody that was at the back of the pack that they had absolutely no shot. They weren't going to get any ground on the front markers. With that said, his race two back is the one that I can't get out of my head. He lost by a nose to Frizzard and he was by Frizzard and he hung so bad. And for those that follow the Southern California racing circuit, Frizzard is like over 1700 before he won that race. Everybody beat Frizzard except for on easy street who hung on the outside of him. So to take three to one on him, that's a tough one to take it in this field. I, from a pick four standpoint, I agree completely with both horses that, that Rob mentioned astronaut. I thought ran the best in that common race. Um, on February 14th, as mentioned earlier, he did have the advantage of being up close when they went slow in those internal middle fractions. Um, but it's certainly a player figures to get first run again today, gets an upgrade to, to Flavion Pratt. Um, is a must use in the pick five. Phantom Dance, kind of the, for the same logic. The blinkers coming off make a lot of sense when you watch the tape last time because this one was tossing his head about. Clearly didn't seem to like the blinkers that much. So it's a natural thing to take off. Notice that Ricardo Gonzalez had a couple different options in this race. We're going to assume that he had the option. He opts for Phantom Dance on the outside. He and Philip Dimato the last 60 days, two winners out of five starters, four of them in the money for 80% with a 28 cent flatbed profit. So I'm guessing that he's taken a lot of, uh, of Phillip's uh, live horses. So those are probably the three that I would focus on for my own pick four would be Astronaut, the one, the three Warbird at a price who I loved that tape last time. But I'm hoping the three-year-old against older doesn't catch up to him and then the eight Phantom Dance. All right, let's rock and roll on to the next one. On some brown stuff, three-year-old, maiden special weight, going a mile. Uh, Bob Baffert in this one, Rob, has a billion dollars worth of horses. Uh, we all know Baffert is Swift Tedder's favorite trainer in the world. <laughs> so are, are you going with Bob or is there somebody else that you like in here? You know, I'm going to, it's funny. I, I listen a lot too to Steve Vick's show. He does a great podcast. He had Baffert on last year and Baffert mentioned this three Fenway. He actually thought that was one of the top horses in his barn. I was heavy on him first time out. He just hasn't shown anything really, you know? And uh, I, I was on him the first two races and, and now I'm off of him. The horse I really kind of like, I just wanted to mention that because I, I don't know if Fenway, maybe he turns it around. Bezos is obviously, listen, he's the horse to beat. Vantage Point is a horse I kind of like at 15 to 1. You know, that was a really good maiden race that he was in first time. He showed a little run in the lane. He was very green. Uh, Clifford Sice, he, he could come up with some horses every now and again. He's, he's a pretty sharp trainer. He doesn't race a lot, but uh, he's, a, he's a pretty sharp guy. So I, I kind of like that horse at a price. But I, I honestly, you're going to have to use Bezos, and uh, I'm, I'm probably going to use Fenway again. I'm going to get suckered into it. But uh, th those are my two horses. I'm not a fan of the six at nine to five. Uh, McCarthy's a pretty good trainer. McCarthy's angle, I've heard him on interviews before. He loves to sprint horses twice and then stretch them out. He's raced this horse twice at a mile. The horse is hung. He's going to try blinkers. He does have decent numbers with him but I'm just not a fan of the way this horse goes. Rob taking a Dan Cortez type rock and jack shot from uh, the other side of the court with that five. Are you, are you joining them there, Tyler? Huh. I wanted to like vantage point off the tape. I really, really did. Uh, it was pretty obvious on the tape that this one hated the kickback. He took a lot of it down the backstretch and, and basically quit by the time they hit the far turn. 
So I can totally excuse the bad performance. My problem with this race is that Basils was so hyped up for his maiden race. And that was supposed to be the greatest maiden race of 2021. And Basils is basically an even money plan here. He has got to win today. He doesn't win today. There's a $400,000. Oh crap. <laughs> with this horse. Well, you could say the same about Fenway. That's a, that's a little bit more. Benway, there already is the old crap for 650000 That That happened two starts ago. They're, they're past that. I hate Benway in this race. I, I This horse just quits in the lane. And it can beat me, and I'm totally comfortable with that, but I don't like Benway at all in this spot. I think this race pretty much goes through Bezos. Um, when I'm playing a, 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 a tiered ticket, Bezos is probably a lone A for me. And what I'm trying to press multiple times, um, hoping that I get catch the price in Warbird the, the previous race and I have a nice ticket going. If you're looking to spread in this race, um, I don't. I agree with Rob. I don't really like there goes Harvard, but what he does have for him is that he has hit the number that you need to hit in this race. The par I use Brisnet as a handicapping tool for myself. Ninety-one was the par, and he's the only one to hit it. So, just on the sheer fact that Rispoli writes back, they make an equipment change. Um, which is one of the, the handicapping angles and principles that Stu, you and I have talked about before. When you have a top jockey that rides a horse and he rides back and they make an equipment change, a lot of times it's the jock that instructs the connections, telling them, hey, I think this is the adjustment that needs to be made. So when you see that in the main race, I take that as a good sign. So the fact that you have two things going for him, even though he's a horrible price in the morning line, um, I think you got to include him in, in your ticket. So I, I think it's those two. The only strange thing in this race from a handicapping standpoint, and I say handicapping loosely, is the Miller runner, the four horse. Because if you notice, Peter Miller was ice cold for the last six weeks. And then all of a sudden, he got a new influx of horses. He started claiming a lot more, bringing in a lot more shippers. And I wouldn't say he's warm, but I'd say he's lukewarm right now. He's starting to come out of the slump, quote unquote. This runner has been awful so far. One awful turf race and one awful synthetic race. But now you go first time in the Miller barn, first time on dirt, blinkers on, Blasics, and who knows what else. So at 10 to 1, that would be going to irritate me if they beat me um, in the sequence. So I'm probably still going to go three deep on my ticket, but I'm going to press um, tickets basically singling Bezos. I think he's, you know, he and, and there goes Harvard probably the, the two horses. I think it's a chalky race, but I will have one ticket with rookie year going. That's a that's actually a great point with rookie of the year. I I had it written down here because M Miller's definitely the wild card. You can see on the works he's probably looks like he's had him since the beginning of February, and in his training program, I mean, you know, they can uh, they can turn around. They can turn around. Hey, look, yeah. I'll let San Luis Ray. <laughs> they can yeah, they can turn around. They can turn around. So you're a hundred percent right with that. He's got a nice gate work here, four furlongs and forty seven and two. So he's definitely the wild card of the race. I hate to break it to you guys, but I, I know what Peter Miller's doing. And <laughs> if no one else is going to say it, I'm going to say it on here. Clear as day, black and white. It's the power of Christ. And he's <laughs> compelling these horses. So, you know, hey, he's doing the Lord's work out there, folks. <laughs> if uh, it goes wire to wire, I hate horse racing. <laughs> wow we all do we all do uh race seven uh, you know on the on the grass six furlong sprint uh this is an optional claimer 50k translate and she's a perfect lady in this one really stand out 
Is it those two in this sequence and just kind of move on, Tyler? Yeah, I think so. The the six furlong turf sprints and the six and a half furlong turf sprints are absolutely destroying me at the San Diego meet. <laughs> I, I can't pick the pace. I, I, I can't pick the closers. It, I've lost so much money in these races. But the one angle that I think has consistently worked is if you can find a horse that has already proven to have success at one of those two distances, they seem to run back and run well, and you don't really have to worry too much about the pace. And so the only two in here that have really shown that they are appreciating this distance to this point are She's a Perfect Lady and Translate. So for me, it's just those two chocks. You get Pratt and Raspoli in a turf sprint at Sanita. I'm going to pray that that's all you need and close my eyes and hope that it works out and we'll make it to the fourth leg to cash the pick four ticket. All right, Rob, are you joining us with the uh, four and one in this one? I'm definitely going to put the kiss of death on us in this because I am. I mean, you know, I, I wanted to go with the three. I, I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get smart in here, but I just can't come in out of the state bred races. He, she, <clears throat> she raced one time coming out of the state bred races in a maiden 50, only finished third, first and not so great field. I, I just can't see her. I just can't see her competing with Translate or um, <clears throat> she's a perfect lady. I, I just, you know, it, it's just really tough to go against. Falcone was over here on the East Coast. He was training at Belmont. He could be pretty sharp, especially with turf horses. Uh, he's a younger guy. His father was in the game. I know that he owned horses and then he got in training and, and stuff like that. So he's, uh, he's pretty sharp. Um, he's out in California doing a halfway decent job. Uh, I know he doesn't have great numbers at the meet, but uh, he's, you know, he can definitely have a horse ready to go and he's done well with this. one. All right. The one to cap it off for the night, 7:45 PM post time. On the dirt, seven furlongs for three-year-olds. It's a maiden. Uh, I I went in here and I just kind of, I like the angle of there's got to be a time, you know, not for every horse. Some horses just are perennial, you know, chandeliers. But mm -hmm. I think when you find ones that are close, that are knocking on the door, um, you know, I, and especially one that uh, is – you know, a nickname for Tyler's first girlfriend. I mean, Medusa's gaze is really something that I'm, I'm keying in on. Rob, your take on Tyler's first girlfriend and Medusa's gaze as this field uh, as well. Well, Christine uh, Muhol, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but uh, her numbers, again, her numbers are through the roof. When uh, she gets one off the claim or she gets one sent to her barn, I'm just not a fan of this horse. Like you said, I understand when a time, you know, there is a time for these horses to win, but I just can't, I just can't go with this horse. I mean, even on the last replay, she had every chance in that race. She did break from the rail, but she had every chance to come and get them. They were, they were really slowing down near the wire. And to me, she just hangs and hangs. I, I, I just, I just can't put this filly in there. I'm actually a fan of the six in here on the cutback. Hell of a name. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm definitely interested in the Jeff Mullins horse. Mullins Barn was kind of in and out the past few years, but he's had some nice winners this year. I caught him at Del Mar with a 22 to one shot uh, earlier this year, and uh, he's had horses ready to go. He doesn't have great numbers with maiden claimers, but um, I like this horse in here, and I especially love one of my biggest angles. 
he's putting on a uh, <clears throat> um, I'm getting caught up here. Sorry. He's putting on a bug to ride. So that, that, that's one of my biggest angles, especially on one of the last races of the card and on a maiden. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, first off, tell us why you like Jessica Pfeiffer. Second, did you cry when your first girlfriend broke up with you? Third, hey, you, you rhyme with Rob on this one? So first off, I like Jessica Pfeiffer because I like her on the lead. And she also is cashing nice tickets for us, as you know, Stu, since you've been. Yeah, thank you, Jessica. These tickets, you know, making me do all the hard work while you're just sitting back and collecting the cash. I, I gave moral support. Secondly, no, I didn't cry my first girlfriend because I actually broke up with her. She didn't break up with me. So you don't cry when you're the one breaking up with someone. Oh, wow. Still harboring resentment, two, though. Two, two and a half Medusa's gaze, just like my first girlfriend is also in the past because I liked her about three starts ago. But she's Ooh. not going to be my ticket now. Okay, well, strong. Uh, and and fourth of all, no, I know I, I agree with what Rob said. The first thing in these types of these main claiming $50,000 races for, for state breads um, is you have to respect the straight main droppers. There's only one horse doing it, and that's a six horse Sagata. So she's obviously a part of the mix and has to be used. I think it's pronounced Agita. Agita? No, Agita. Agita? For our Italian friends. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. You wouldn't know. I, I know you're working on the, the script to point break three over there. Right over I know you're working on that. They've lost to UCLA in the first round, you know, just. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Kind but, of you know what? You, you, you expect low lows. So why don't you go back to the tent you're living on uh, Venice Beach Highway, okay? Why don't you go back to your tent? In Malibu. We don't live in Venice Beach hey, Highway. Come and cut your hair, hippie. Back to the race. <laughs> Can I go back to my analysis, please? Yes. I'm not a roll interrupted. So I like the number six horse, the Philly over there. I think uh, she's got to be included. I agree with what Rob said on Queen of Love for the sheer fact there is absolutely nothing to beat in here. So you might as well take a first-time starter because we know the horses with experience aren't much. So if she's anything, that puts her certainly in contention. Uh, the only other horse I would include would be the rail runner allergic to logic. This is going to be a, a strange thing to say, and I'll get a little bit of flack for it. I don't like the way Flavian Pratt wrote this filly either time. Actually, they were both poor rides. The first time, he had her bottled up for too long, and she got out. Um, and had she gotten out sooner, she probably would have won the race, and she wouldn't be a maiden anymore. And last time, I hated the position he had her in. He had her between horses with really nowhere to go. And he kind of asked early, then tried to settle. And by the time he hit the far turn, the race was over anyway. The, the trouble mentioned in the PPs is deadly accurate, but it didn't really have an impact because her race was over anyway. She was too far behind. He just saved her for next time in the lane. So with, with Abel hopping aboard in a field that doesn't have a whole lot of speed, Abel likes to be more forwardly placed. I would expect an aggressive send job early. I don't imagine her on the lead, but I do imagine her sitting kind of that pocket trip. Um, and you got a bunch of horses in here who don't like to pass each other. So I think horses up front are going to be going to have a big advantage. So I'm going to use the one, two, and six in here to complete the pick four. I, I actually, the, the case you made for allergic to logic, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I kind of like that pick, especially since it encapsulates, uh, you know, what I think about you. All right, Tyler, Rob, thank you for uh, a great time. I appreciate you guys uh, coming on doing this. Tyler, you're going to come back here soon or maybe not. Uh, we'll see how desperate you are.
Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Rob, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure meeting up with you and, and uh, texting back and forth with you, man. Oh, absolutely, man. Appreciate the show and appreciate you giving me a shot. Yeah, I told you up front, uh, stay tuned for the end of this episode. I think you're going to dig quite a bit who we got coming on next week. Perfect. All right. After these quick words from our sponsors, we're going to kick it over to Eric Chasm and talk some basketball right after this. What's going on? It's Matt Bernier from the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. Be sure to join us every Monday, occasionally Tuesdays, but for the most part, every Monday, however you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's YouTube, you name it, you can find it a million different places, including InTheMoneyPodcast.com. It's the Matt Bernier Show. Anything and everything to do with the world of horse racing. All right, joined by a returning guest to the show. He is the proprietor of HaslamMetrics.com. He is, uh, he's not or analytically final just yet, but he's getting there. He's the great Eric Haslam. Eric, uh, it's really always a pleasure to talk to you, man. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, how's, how's the tournament treated you so far? Uh, surprisingly, not so terrible i mean there have been a few games in here that have really gone my way with um you know i, I kind of try to you know everybody wants to have a bracket of integrity the one where you're rooting for it and when you lose it you just kind of let it go when it comes to that bracket of integrity um things were going pretty good up until texas tech kind of blew me blew me away there that was one that i thought i always try to mix in i don't want you know if i go straight analytics uh, it's always gonna be one versus one and one versus one I try to mix it up so that you end up having a one versus four and a, maybe a two versus six or something like that. And things were going pretty good because I actually had Illinois, well, Tennessee screwed me over early. Uh, but then when Illinois was out, I was like, oh, this might work out well because no one's going to get anything out of that par portion of the bracket. And I, had, and I had Houston, I think, going to the final four. So that was setting up nicely for me and that Houston would go to the final four. Unfortunately, I had them playing Texas Tech and losing. And so at the moment, Texas Tech lost to Arkansas, couldn't convert there at the end. And yeah, so that that leaves me, um, I don't know, I, it, I, you know, assuming Baylor goes through and and advances, that's not going to work out well for me. <laughs> well, I, I'd love to pick your brain on the games coming up, but, uh, you know, sure. we've had so much happen the past weekend. I mean, it's been four days of. Yeah chaos i mean luckily like i told you off air before we started you know it even continues into tonight with uh bellerman uh, yeah. i hope i'm saying that correctly you know bellermine bellerman <laughs> uh it, it, the miners getting after it uh and and playing some cbi ball but for you you know all all things in totality uh of first four days first you know and second round of games for the NCAA tournament. What's been the big surprise? And may, also conversely, what's been the big thing that, you know, was right in your mind? Well, I think I'll start with the thing that was, that was right in my mind. I think, you know, coming in, I think I said this in a couple podcasts 
last week uh, that I visited. And I said, you know, one of the teams I'm going to pick. And I, and I joked and said, usually they screw me over. I either pick them to go, you know, a couple, two or three rounds and they lose right away or else I pick them to go nowhere and they go to the final four of the elite eight. And it's Syracuse. And I said, oh, you know, yeah. when this tournament comes around, there's something about that zone. You know, they play all year round in that ACC. People just kind of get used to it and they, they're prepared for it. But the moment you take them out of that ACC and you slap them into a, into a, a tournament with teams from other conferences who don't see this every day, I, I just think these teams just stumble over themselves trying to figure out this zone for whatever reason. And so I said, this is one of the reasons why I said, this is the time I'm going to pick Syracuse to go to the Sweet 16 um, as an 11 seed. I think uh, at the time I said San Diego State. Um, I think that might that zone will give them trouble. I think the, the analytics identified West Virginia as a potential weak link in that particular bracket. And I thought that based on the history of what Syracuse does to teams, that they'd be able to jump a, a couple rounds. That was one thing that I, I guess you could say, prophesized and it came true. Um, the thing that did not, is the biggest surprise is obviously a couple things. One was the, the Pac-12. Nobody saw the Pac-12 coming. And just to think that you've got twice as many teams in the, in the Sweet 16 from the, from the Pac-12 as the Big Ten and Big 12 combined. Big 10 has one, Big 12 has one, Pac-12 has four. That's incredible. I, I never would have seen that coming. Um, you know, a lot of Pac-12 people say, you know, this is how good we really are. It's hard to say. I mean, this is part of the problem with trying to rate these teams later in the year is, you know, you always have these sample sizes up front because you have this cross-conference play in November and December. And then once January comes around, they all go their separate directions. And, and some conferences mature and other ones eh, don't so don't don't do it as well. So this might be a situation where the Pac-12 was maturing before our very eyes, but we couldn't really see it because they weren't having matchups with the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 after the month of after the month of January got here. So are they for real? You know, you can't argue with the results, uh, but just really disappointing. Big 10 and nine teams in eight of them are gone. Uh, Big 12 and seven teams and six are gone. Just a real disappointing showing from them. Yeah, and I, I know from uh, my Big Ten friends that the, the idea of, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's echoed in the Big 12 uh, this year as well, that that thought of, well, the season's too tough. When you, when you have, mm -hmm. like Michigan State, for instance, they're playing Illinois, they're playing Iowa, they're playing Michigan, they're playing Ohio State, all in back-to-back-to-backs. And yeah. then you have a conference tournament as well lumped in there. Plus, you, you know, you've got a lot of these teams playing their 10th game, 15th game in, in 20 to 30 days. I mean, it's it wears on you. We saw it with uh, SIU Edwardsville on a smaller scale this year, a team that wasn't awful, but towards the end of that run they, they were pretty atrocious it, it, how yeah. much account are you giving towards that aspect of it you know it's i think every team is a little bit different when it comes to that kind of thing you know a lot of people have brought me that question up front of saying is that going to prepare the big 12 or the big 10 having that tough schedule um what's it going to be for a team like gonzaga um and you know i always lean towards if you're more battle tested you're more prepared for the tournament this year, I guess it would, you could arguably say it's worked against those teams and that they've kind of killed, you know, eaten each other a little bit during the time 
uh, during the regular season. And all of a sudden, the, the postseason came, and they were exhausted. You could argue, say they're exhausted. They just didn't perform very well. Meanwhile, a team like Gonzaga, which really hasn't faced a lot of top quality op- opposition since early on in the year, you know, they've gone on to you know do exactly what they expected them to do. Um, they they took care of business, obviously, versus Norfolk State. Um, Oklahoma hung around for a little while, but at the end, they were just outclassed by Gonzaga. It'll be interesting to see what Creighton can do against them. Um, and then after that, you're dealing with, uh, you know, the, the winners of the what I call the Pac-12 after dark uh, coming <laughs> out of the other side of that bracket with the USC and Oregon playing. Um, it's 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 one of those things I, I you know, I, I go with a gut reaction on that because, first of all, there's no way you can put a your finger on it from a numeric standpoint. And then, on, you know, you may go next year and have a completely different result. You could have the Pac-12 next year go get four teams in and be bounced right away, and the, and the Big Ten could have three teams in the Final Four. It just differs from one year to the next. Yeah, I, I mean, out of all the – we saw a lot of upsets, a lot of underdogs mm-hmm. uh, from the betting world winning – it, it was it was a pretty rough weekend for a lot of folks. I know gambling. Uh, is there an underdog that you really saw that that really popped that was super surprising to you? Oh, I obviously I think you know a lot of people foresaw some of some of the people that I know in the Rocket Twenty Five group actually saw that Oral Roberts game coming. Credit to a guy named Sean Paul, a friend of mine who um, I've seen actually, him. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. I gotta give him credit for nailing that one. Oh my God, he was saying he was gonna pick Oral Roberts over Ohio State before before they even released the brackets on Selection Sunday, um, and then they went on to win win two games and they're in the Sweet Sixteen. So you gotta give him credit there. That was one that is that one kind of popped for me. The ones that I kind of expected um, that didn't surprise me. I'll just say that um, Abilene Christian was a team that I thought was played fantastic defense. I thought they could have given Texas trouble. They did. Um, they won that game. The one I expected of all of them to win was going to be Ohio over Virginia. Didn't even get a chance to watch a minute of that game. And I saw it later on. I'm like, Oh, Ohio actually won that game. Um, I, I would guess, I think um, one that would probably surprise me a little bit more was probably North Texas actually over Purdue. Not that Purdue jumped off the page at you and really seemed like a really quality team, but they had a lot of the qualifications of balance. When it comes to the analytics, you want to have balanced top 30 offensive efficiency, top 30 defensive efficiency. Purdue had those numbers in their favor. And I thought because of that, they might make a, say, a sweet 16 and run or even, you know, go beyond that. Uh, but to get bounced right away and not make it out of round one and then, you know, see what North Texas did in the next round, just get throttled by a, a Villanova team without Colin Gillespie was very disappointing for the Boilers. Yeah, I, I mean... Gosh, that Purdue team, it's like on paper, that's the perfect team for mm-hmm. for that where they were set up. I know a lot of people are hurting off that, but you know, what's nice is it, all the ills, all the bad news, all the bad juju from this past weekend. If you had some ship can get righted this week. We've got uh four games Saturday, four games Sunday. I'm just gonna get I wanted to pick your brain on some of these uh Oregon mm-hmm. State, you mentioned Pac-12 after dark. <laughs> I mean, gosh, this Oregon State team, I saw a video. Somebody made a $150 wager on uh, Oregon State to win the Pac tournament and cash. Uh, yeah. What are the odds for them to cash and make the six, Sweet 16? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like 
this team, which I've seen just look lost at times this year um, and, and not really have it all together, they're, they just can't miss. That's the thing. And, and it's all about peaking at that right time. If you look at my site right now, writing momentum, which looks at your last six to, six to 10 games of all 357 teams in the country. Um, granted, there's a few of them that didn't play. So it's like 347, but they're sixth in the country right now in positive momentum. And that's the idea is trying to find that team who's going to get hot at the right time. I think a team like Arkansas was a team that is, I worried that they would get hot and then they would not stay hot. And so far, they've been, been able to keep that momentum going that they ran into uh, probably in late February, early March. They are still rolling. But then you get a team like Oregon State, who they were honestly, for me, I looked at that first round matchup and said, I'm just not feeling it. I, I just don't see Oregon State coming out of, the fir- out of the first round against Tennessee. Tennessee was a little bit flaky, yes, but when, they, when their defense was on, they were elite eight quality if they could get their defense to same, the problem same, was, same exact thought. Yeah. And they couldn't get and the problem is they got to play offense. <laughs> um, and it was it's it's the opposite of LSU. LSU, as you know, they're gonna bring the offense, no problem there. But in the tournament, you got to play a little defense. Flip-flop for Tennessee. And but I thought that Oregon State, um, very similar to Georgetown. Um, I, there were those are two teams I just kind of didn't look at and I said. They blew their wad in their conference tournament. I talked about Georgetown and saying that was a Georgetown team. And I don't know if I mentioned it on your podcast before. I don't think I did. But um, that Georgetown team was, you know, whenever you watch a conference tournament and it's a power conference game or something like that, you turn on that first game and you're just seeing, I remember the ACC was Miami was playing, I don't know, Boston College, something like that. And you just feel sorry for those teams because you're like, you know, they're just going to get waxed. At some point, they're going to have to go for, to run the gauntlet of four, four or five games just to win the thing. And it's, it's almost impossible to do it. With Georgetown, they were in that first game in yeah. that Big East tournament, and they ran the gauntlet. But I kind of looked at that and said, I think they kind of blew everything they had. They wouldn't have a lot left for, uh, for Colorado, and they really didn't. They got blown out by Colorado. But that Oregon State team is still bringing it. I think there's that energy. I think there's that energy there. And and that was one of the reasons I picked Rutgers um, to beat Clemson because this was their big stage. This was like, man, we haven't been here in so long. We are so geared up. I remember when Wisconsin in 1994 went to the, went to the tournament for the first time um, in like 47 years, it was a big deal. And so everybody wanted that one game. I mean, it was an eight, nine game at the time, but I kind of said the same thing about Rutgers. And I think it kind of held true for Oregon State. This was their first time to really show what they can do on the big stage in a long, long time. And I think there was that real extra burst of energy that came for, for Oregon State. And sure enough, you know, you, you get went back-to-back wins. Tennessee, you can kind of understand. Oklahoma State, I thought, was underseeded. I thought they should have been a three-seed. So for them to take down Oklahoma State with Cade Cunningham and beat them by double digits is pretty impressive. Is it fair to say, though, I, I mean, Loyola Chicago, Sister Jean aside, you know, they, they've got the, the power yeah. of prayer behind them, but, man, this team plays elite defense. I, I think yeah. in your efficiency rankings, you have them third. When you look at the defensive rankings across the board, I mean, this, this defense is elite. What they did to Illinois was just – 
It was textbook. It's it's actually how you play defense at yeah. a college level. And they got the pieces. They got the guys that can shoot. Uh, Crutwig's a monster down low. Do you do you think uh, the Ramblers keep rambling uh, to the Elite Eight here? Oh boy, um, I would. I, I would probably have to pick them. I, I gotta, I, you know, I just, there's something about them with that's with sister Jean being around. They do have that balance too. And we talked about it. It's not only that they have that defense, which is really elite, but they are 29th in the country in offensive efficiency. Like you said, they're third in defensive efficiency. Um, Crutwig is just, it was, that was fun to watch. Um, oh yeah. I, I, I have a lot of respect for, for Kofi Coburn. But just watching Crutwig work, and it's funny because you look at Crutwig and he looks like he looks like you and me, you and me in the post. There's nothing. He looks like private. We always joke in, on Twitter. We call him Private Pile because he looks just like Private Pile from Full Metal Jacket. Oh, but man, the guy I said he looks like Private Pile plays like Bird, and he's just you know just <laughs> the, the 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 footwork that he puts together in the paint, and he's and you could be, just he's, he's beautiful he, in the paint. He, he is, is a work he's, of art. And he's a and, and such great finesse and 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 just able to do you know he can body himself around but at the same time he's got the footwork um, you know as a Badger fan I'd say Ethan Hap esque in the post mm-hmm. just a guy who was able to manipulate his defender in the post fantastic job I said about that game when I watched it live I said this looks like a team that came in here as a team unit looks like looks like they have a have a plan. And Illinois, frankly, looked like a team that was planning to win on talent alone. And against Loyola Chicago, you better bring more than your talent. You got to come as a team unit because they are ready to go. They, that's the, the great thing I love about college basketball is you have teams like Loyola Chicago that don't have the talent that Illinois does. But if you play as a team unit, you're going to win more times than not. I've heard uh, the great big man on campus, Jeff Nadeau, talk about it. And he said – he, he thought this team was better than the team from a few years ago. Uh, do your metrics, have you looked at that? Do, you, do your metrics bear that out? From, I believe I, what your, that was 2017, was it not? I believe so. Uh, that was the, let me see if that, because I can actually look that up off the top. I can't remember if that was 2017 or 2016. I'll get um, you. I'll get you a year. By the way, Pepperdine has gone on a 22 to two run. <laughs> so much for Beller, Bellarmine or Bellarmine or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that that's painful. That's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in my soul right now. <laughs> I I but, yeah. At, at, shout out to Asher Lowe if you're listening. That that's pure heartache uh, by your waves. Oh, I think so. It was the team. Okay, it was in 2018. So if you take these, and um, so I, I think I went a, a year too far. So 20, 2018, if you go back um, and you look at their numbers, fifth, and this was after the final four run. So they ended up the year 30, 32 and six. And uh, after their final four run, 54th in offensive efficiency, 38th in defensive efficiency. Granted, they were number one in the country in field goal percentage. They shot the ball extremely well. They were fifth in three-point percentage that year. Um, those numbers don't play out quite as well this year, although it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, 16th in, in field goal percentage, um, three, three point percentage is 59th. But when you look at the overall package, top to bottom, they're 29th in offensive efficiency and their defense is much improved. So they're a better team in my opinion than they were in that, that final four run. 
So some credence to that thought. Let's you you mentioned them already. Oral Roberts in Arkansas. This game, uh, I see the spread already at eleven and a half. I, I I wanted to ask you this because you know Arkansas. I, even though you're sporting the Cornell shirt right now, <laughs> shout out to the Raiders. I mean, that that was a very winnable game. That's a team that played right into Arkansas's hands, even yeah. though Cornell was shooting the ball per, like really well. Uh, um, not or, Cornell, not, not, not Cornell. Uh, or Colgate, uh, Colgate, Col- excuse Colgate. Me. Well, yep, right. <laughs> Cornell, Colgate, close enough, same thing. Same thing, <laughs> same thing. Uh, Oral yeah. Roberts seems like they want to do the same thing that Colgate does, which is press yeah. the ball, be be forward with it, and they're going to take a lot of shots. Granted, they hit them at a high rate. Defense is an optional thing. Is, is this a game that you're just expecting points galore and, and Arkansas to roll away with it? Well, it's a five-hair special, which means that I, I was right on the, the game ratings on my site. You always have the, the pace shown there, and and the, the maximum you can get is three hairs aside, which shows you like you're one of the fastest teams as far as tempo goes. Well, Arkansas gets three hairs. Uh, um, Oral Roberts gets two. Uh, Oral Roberts is 64th in pace. Uh, Arkansas is 20th. Definitely these are two teams that are probably not going to be shy about taking the ball up and down the court. Although you never know um, in a tournament. I mean, a great example of, of you're going to look at the matchup and try to do something a little bit different was look at Oregon the other day, Oregon was 290, Oregon was 294th in game pace and they jacked it up and they decided we're going to run with Iowa and they beat them at that kind of game, even though Iowa was not the fastest team in the world either. They were like 112th or something like that in pace. But the fact that an Oregon team dialed it up and ran that quickly was really a surprise. And they, and they just ended up eating up Iowa. I don't know if Oral Roberts would take a different strategy. This Arkansas team with, with Moses Moody, with Justin Smith, you're talking about NBA elite kind of talent here. Um, kind of a different animal than what they've seen in the first two rounds. I think, or I think Ohio State was ripe for the picking. Uh, we had identified them as a, a team with a blatant weakness. Um, everybody thought when it come to, came to the Big Ten of, of a bad defense, everybody thinks of Iowa. But the fact of the matter is, down, down the stretch, it was Ohio State was the worst defensive team of all those yeah, those teams that got right. in, and and they were set up for. I, I didn't think they'd go far. I think I had them losing the second round, um, maybe the I mean, they might got the third round because honestly, the seven ten matchup was unremarkable for me, and that was the one that I said it started. It was the first game they showed on Friday, and I remember sitting at the bar and I'm like, here comes the first game, and I'm like. Honestly, this is the one game I care the least about because I don't think I don't think very highly of either of these teams. That game that game was Rutgers Clemson for me on on Friday. Yeah, just like oh god, you got to be in Piscataway or in uh, Columbia yeah. to watch it. And that one was the only thing I I I would I was I had a different mindset with, with uh, Rutgers was because they hadn't been there in so long. This was their finally their moment. They lost their moment last year. I and I watched a little of that, thinking that would put them over the edge. Clemson was a team that was a little bit. It was worse than Missouri. They were a little bit like Missouri of a team that had a great resume, but at the end of the day, the performance ranking said they weren't that great of a team. And so I think they were probably one of those teams. Uh, people complain about a loyal Chicago being underseeded. Clemson would be a classic example, in my opinion, of a yeah. team that was overseeded. Um, and Rutgers took them down. So 
coming back to the other uh, bracket, though, I mean, it's it, it set up nicely for Oral Roberts, who had an Ohio State team who was playing poor defensively, who was really on a rough run. I mean, this was a one seed at one point who really faltered down the stretch. And then in the second round, you had a couple teams that just were, meh, you know, nothing about Florida this year. And trust me, Virginia Tech probably wasn't even supposed to be here. They had that opening, that, that, that early season win against Villanova, which was big. And then they showed something by backing it up to making their way in the tournament. But Virginia Tech wasn't supposed to be here. And I think a lot of times in the tournament, a lot of teams regress back to who they were supposed to be. Um, so I didn't think that, you know, Florida or Virginia Tech, uh, of that pod, it was unimpressive. Whoever came out of there, I was like, well, they're going to come out of here, get to the Sweet 16, they're going to be done. And get eaten up by either Arkansas or Texas Tech. I think that probably still holds true, although I am the kiss of death on occasion. Um, but, uh, but Arkansas has just got way too much talent. And I, I just think it's, it's time for Oral Roberts to regress back to the norm. Well, I appreciate you uh, being a magnanimous person and, and pretty much saying, and I don't want to paraphrase you word for word, but Michigan State should have been a 10 seed. I agree <laughs> with you. All right, let's, get, yeah. <laughs> let's, <laughs> yeah. let's go to Sunday. We'll leave it at that. Uh, you know, Michigan without livers, uh, this team, they've, in my eyes, been a little lucky. Uh, if you're, and I'm a Spartan, so, you know, you can take my word for a grain of salt, but if you're beating a SWAC team only by 16 and late in the <laughs> second half, that game is close to being single digits, that is not a good sign. That right. is not a positive thing. SWAC teams, right. as much as I love the SWAC and I respect the SWAC for what it is, um, I watch SWAC. Uh, it's it's not it's not good basketball. <laughs> it is not. not. I'll it's, say it. It's not good basketball. <laughs> it's not good. It's not no. good. Uh, shout out. It, it, shout if out you're, to if you're watching, if you're watching some sorry SWAC people, if you're watching SWAC basketball and you've got something better to do, you know, I <laughs> and, hey, and, and then and then I'm not going to pick on the SWAC. I'll pick on the MEAC too. At the same time, now I'm going to get people mad at me. That's okay. <laughs> well, hey, look, I, you know, I'll come at you with my cop and state picks, but there you go. I, I'll tell you, man, I, it's like that. That's concerning. You yeah. get LSU, who you know, everybody was like, oh man, LSU can't miss. Well, that's true because I think Michigan's defense is really lacking, and it's been kind of apparent the past few weeks. And I think also losing livers. And he's yeah. he's going to be out for the tournament with that foot issue. Uh, it, it that offense they were wide open. LSU doesn't play a lick of defense when they're running. Mm. They don't play a lick of defense, and they rely on their athletic talent, like you were saying. It is is Michigan? And now I haven't been blown away by Florida State at all this year, but I know they're athletic. I know on paper they are a much better team. Is this where Michigan gets tripped up? You think, you know, this is, uh, I, I really like Leonard Hamilton and his teams always seem to make that elite eight run. And that kind of ends there. I could see them winning this game. This is a real, this is a tough one for me because I don't really trust Michigan to do exactly what I, I expect them to do at any given moment. They are 331st in consistency. And I mentioned this before about them is that they, 
Um, you know, they, and granted, when they had livers there, it was a little bit different story. But you've seen some really fantastic performances out of Michigan this year. As a Badger fan, I, for one, remember the game on January 12th when they were winning that game by 40 in the second half in Ann Arbor, and they just destroyed Wisconsin. It was laughable. I remember the Ohio State game, the first Ohio State game, when Ohio State game. played. I thought Ohio State played about as flawless of a game as they could play, and they lost. And that's how good Michigan was. Um, but even, you know, in those situations when, when livers was there, I mean, you had that game at Minnesota at the barn where they were trounced and gra- granted weird things happened at the barn. So I get Minnesota, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you go back to November and, you know, there was a, this, you know, when they, when they played Oakland in Ann Arbor, Oakland had just gotten off losing to, I think it was Xavier by 52. And then they take Michigan to overtime in Ann Arbor. You have the game in Illinois when. Their favorite and Desumu's out, and we're like, well, Michigan's going to roll now. And they get run to just destroyed on their own home court by 23. I'm not ready to rule them out just yet because sometimes it looks I, – I, I have a belief in the system, and I take you know Villanova as an example. Everybody looks and says Gillespie is the heart and soul of that team. If without them, they're screwed. It's over. And that's not necessarily always the case. You've seen that with Illinois in the past. Illinois, when they played uh, Michigan without the Subaru, they still had enough of a, te- a team unit that they can win that game. So I'm not going to say it's the end of the line for Michigan, although I like that Florida State, I, I, I like what, what Leonard Hamilton does. I think he's a great coach. He goes nine deep. I think he has nine guys who play double-digit minutes per game. Um, he, I don't think he has really any standout, standout alphas. I think it's one of those teams that where you really spread the talent out amongst a group of individuals and play within your team uh, fashion. I think that's the way, as, as opposed to like in Illinois that had Desumu and, and Colburn as the alphas and then everybody else was kind of there. There really is no alpha here on this Florida state team. Um, but at the same time, sometimes I think it's a little bit overstated when people lose a guy like livers and they, you know, it's the same thing with Villanova and Gillespie. Like, oh, it's all over for them. You still got four guys on that team in that starting lineup who've been there time and time again who can make up the difference. And if you put the right guy in who fits with those other four guys, you can be just as potent as you were before you lose that star. I always think back. I learned that lesson years ago with Bonzi Colson. When Bonzi Colson was playing uh, for Notre Dame and then Bonzi Colson, they were playing pretty lousy basketball. And then Colson went out with an injury. And then it seemed like there was no difference. This is the same Notre Dame team. There was no difference in the performance without him. And he was, he was an all American. So sometimes I think, I think we probably overthink it a little bit of how bad are they going to be without livers? Because I don't think there's going to be that much of a difference. Um, but again, I, I, as I've said before, it, I, I have a hard time trusting Michigan. Michigan has played some really great basketball and then they've really had some head scratchers in there where I don't know what the hell happened. And so, God, you know, like I said, 311th in consistency. I don't know what to expect from one game to the next with uh, Juwan Howard's guys. Fair enough. Uh, and, and I think that's a salient point because, like you said, I, I, I'm still certain – I think this team had an identity. I feel like they may have lost it a little bit in, in the past couple weeks. Hunter Dickinson has been kind of – He's been a little bit more quiet than he was, and and we're seeing a lot more Brandon Johns, and and mm. we're we're having to rely on Eli Brooks in the corner. Uh, Florida State can play defense, which is not a, a sure thing by any stretch. 
could be a close game. Uh, yep. Uh, speaking of, uh, before we get to the two big dogs in the yard, and, and I want to get your opinion <laughs> on them before we uh, head out, this Alabama team, uh, I mean, if you're Nate Oates, what have you done? What kind of voodoo have you practiced to have the the brackets <laughs> set up? I mean, is it not – because Alabama versus uh, Michigan um, is, is not – Alabama is certainly not the team you want to play if you're Michigan oh, yeah. right now. Uh, that's probably outside of maybe Loyola, Chicago, probably one of the worst draws you can get right yeah. now in the, in, in the tournament. Alabama really looks like they're just going to pummel UCLA much in the way they did uh, the other night against Maryland. It, 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 what it, am I speaking out of turn? Is Alabama just because uh, I've already written them into my final four? And you should, I think you should. Um, and now I've just jinxed them again, <laughs> but <laughs> and you never know, they're playing a Pac 12 team, so God knows what's going to happen now. Now they're finally getting that 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 Pac 12 jinx, uh, going against UCLA, who wasn't supposed to be here, but. You know, I, I think I, I always have that bias, I think, coming into a tournament of, of looking at past teams from certain colleges and saying, for that reason, I don't really trust them. I think that I kind of had that bias against Texas. Um, Shaka Smart teams in the past have never really performed all that great. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, and, that I mean, that that's reasonable. Shaka is pretty tough in the tournament. But keep in mind, this is the, what, second year? I don't know how many years with Oates. Uh, in there, it, after they lost Avery Johnson, then, I, I, you know, it's a little bit different story. I just don't, I think they had a ton of talent and they really didn't do as much with it. Oates is a different, a different kind of animal. And they are just, you know, not, I mean, what they did, they just rolled over Maryland. Uh, granted, Maryland is not the, not the greatest team in the world, but Alabama, you know, again, you want to find that team that has the perfect balance, 16th in offensive efficiency, fourth in defensive efficiency. They defend the three really well. That's elite. But, that is yes. an elite byline. And what they also do is that you want a really high number when it comes to that defensive mid-range attempt rate. You want a high number. And Alabama has that high number coming from the Rick Bird school of, uh, of defending teams, encouraging the mid-range and not taking it yourself. And when you look at what Alabama does on, de on defense, 318th in the country in mid-range defensive mid-range attempt rate that you want a high number there you want to give up a lot of shots in the mid-range and they do and when you look at them on offense 355th in offensive mid-range attempt rate he's smart enough to know hey i'm gonna get my i'm gonna work myself open for wide open threes and if i can't get that i'm penetrating and getting as close to the basket as possible it's a, that's a smart coaching style. That's the style that everybody should be going after these days. I know that there's a lot of people who don't buy into the analytics that still say, Hey, if I get an open 14 foot shot, I'm going to take it. I get that. I understand that if you have the guy who can make the shot. And I think of, I always think of Thomas Welch years ago from UCLA, <laughs> <laughs> the guy, guy was drain everything. Oh yeah. The guy, was, the guy was money from 16 feet. It was the guy would never miss those shots, but um, but it's just, you know, when you bring in the talent that they have at Alabama and you mix it with the wisdom of Nate Oates, and I think he's such a great coach, um, these Alabama fans have a reason to be excited. And I think they, if for people who are penciling uh, Alabama into the final four, I think that's, that's a pretty wise move. Nate Oates is, outside of Tom Mizzo, he's the best coach in America. He's phenomenal. He's great. He, yeah. He's great. Um, 
Well, big dogs in the yard still out there. We haven't really talked about them. Yeah. But coming in, we we all were trying to beat them, but it really looks like these guys are going to meet eventually. Uh, just the way they're playing. Gonzaga, just absolutely steamrolling teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baylor, kind of looking like old Baylor a little bit. They're, 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 that game against Wisconsin, they were always, no offense, they were always in control. They were just <laughs> kind of, they, they always had the game in hand. It, it would get a little bit closer, and then Baylor would make a, a, a quick run to kind of end it. And that's kind of what you want to see from, from your one seeds. Is, is this a fait accompli that these guys are going to meet at the end? Or is there something that you're seeing that's going to maybe detract from one or the other? No, my what I've learned in the past is, and this probably holds true for Gonzaga, in my opinion, is that in more, most cases, and I'm, I'm hoping Gonzaga is not the, uh, the exception, most cases these really, really elite teams get a scare. And I, I think it might be here for Gonzaga. I don't know about that. I've, uh, if you've seen me on Twitter, one of the teams I've liked and the analytics have liked all year long has been Creighton, another team that was very underseeded, I thought, when it came to the tournament. I thought they were probably qual- the quality of a team that would be a three-seed or a four-seed. But there were several, several issues involved. They had a couple quad three losses, I think, that really left a bad taste in people's mouths. I think there was a question of the McDermott comments. How would that be a team unit for Creighton? And then on top of that, Creighton got their butts handed to them badly in the Big East championship game against Georgetown. They just got thumped badly. Um, but I kind of looked at that as a good thing. I, my fear was that Creighton was actually going to win that Big East tournament championship and then be like, okay, now they, they blew their best basketball. Now they're going to lay an egg in the tournament. I think getting punched in the mouth against Georgetown was probably the best thing that happened to them. And they, they come out and they win a tough game against UC Santa Barbara, where a lot of people thought that was a win for UC Santa Barbara. And then they followed up by taking care of business against Ohio. Um, I think Gonzaga, obviously a big time different animal. Um, I think that Creighton's going to have to really rely on their perimeter game and be almost flawless because I just don't think they have the horses inside to stop Gonzaga. Gonzaga is Zagorowski is going to have a bear of a time against Timmy and Kispert. But McDermott is a McDermott's a good coach. And, you know, there's a kind of guy who uh, who can prove himself here and finding a way if you can pick a way and get a strategy that forces Gonzaga out of their comfort zone. And I don't know what that is necessarily because I think you got to take away the inside game from them. They're so good at the ball movement, getting the ball inside, converting from up close that you got to force them to shoot the three. But at the same time, you got guys like Suggs, you got guys like Kispert, you got guys like Nemhard who are going to bury all those threes. Um, you know, I, I still think that there's a scare left in all of these teams. And I remember thinking it was just kind of the same thing with Virginia a few years ago. How many scares did Virginia get before they actually won the, the championship? They had that scare. Yeah. They should have lost the game against Purdue. Uh, yes. That was sheer luck. And then, of course, Auburn, how Auburn flushed that down the toilet in the, uh, the final four. I'll never understand that. Um, but you know, I, I, I just, I, I still think that a lot of people are just kind of penciling Gonzaga in and saying they're going to roll. And I think they're going to get a scare here. I think they're going to get to a point very similar to what we saw in the, the WCC final where they trailed by double digits to BYU. 
wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me in the next couple of games if I if you saw the same thing if Creighton gets a big lead and all of a sudden Creighton's up by fourteen or something like that people would say well we didn't see this coming Creighton's a better team than people give them credit for and I think the same could be said for a USC should they get through to the next round the way USC is playing right now they are rolling um, even more the case I think for Baylor Baylor has had chinks in the armor since their COVID pause and while they did play well against Wisconsin. Wisconsin just kind of didn't bring the game they did against North Carolina. Um, I think Villanova could give them trouble and Arkansas most definitely could give them trouble. So, so I don't think this is a lock for Baylor, um, especially with Arkansas lurking in the next round after this, assuming they get by Oral Roberts, who is the, uh, who's the giant killer right now. Yeah. It, and you brought up a great point about BYU. What, what I noticed in the in the couple games that Gonzaga did have some issues, and, and I'm only thinking of the Pacific game and the BYU game, it, it seemed like, you know, if you have some big men that can really stifle Kispert and Timmy and really bother them in the post, it leads to a lot of issues. Yeah, because sometimes Gonzaga doesn't get off to a hot start. You know, they're not a team that, you know, is always going to boat race you. They're going to put up 20 real quick and and you're off Mm -hmm. to the races. It seems like if you if you have the bigs like Harms did it really well for BYU. Do the analytics bear that out? Is there a stat that we should be looking for to see how, you know, if there's bigs that can really stifle a team? Yeah, the uh, the what really works in their favor is a couple numbers that jump out at me. First of all, they are number one in defensive efficiency, number one in offensive efficiency. There, that's very rare to see six point favor, more than a six point favorite over the number two team in the country right now, which is a a massive gap. So, to their credit, they are really you know everything that everybody's saying they are. But one of the things that jumps out at me is their inside game. We look at near proximity, near proximity attempt rate, number three in the country near proximity percentage is number one in the country. You often see teams who really like the inside shot. They're going to be first, second, third in near proximity attempt rate, but then they might be, I don't know, 70th in percentage or a hundredth in percentage. The fact that they get as many shots up close as they do and they convert as many shots as they do is exactly why opposing coaches have to find a way to take that away from them. On top of that, they're number one in field goal percentage, but yet um, they still have plenty of chances for second chance putbacks. They're 17th in the country at second chance conversion percentage. These are quick putbacks less than five seconds after an offensive rebound. They're very efficient at doing that. So if they miss their shots, which they rarely do, um, you know, it's, it's such a double-edged sword and that's got to be so frustrating because even though they are so efficient and so legendary on the inside, if you push them to the outside, it's not a shot they like to take. I mean, they prefer to get the shot close to the basket, but they're still 15th in the country and adjusted three-point percentage. So pick your poison. You know, that's, yeah. that's the problem with Gonzaga. But I think you kind of have to pick the poison that is less lethal. And I think in this situation, you have to roll the dice and say, everybody from the perimeter has an off day. And if it's going to be Suggs who can't, goes one of nine and Kispert goes one of four and you go with that and Timmy's not, you know, in foul trouble, different ball game all of a sudden if you can just somehow get these guys you've seen the very best in the game the greatest shooters all of a sudden had just off nights and i remember 
I, I was at a game a long time ago, back in the Eastern Conference Finals in the 90s, Michael Jordan playing against the Miami Heat. And I remember Jordan was like one of 22 or something. I can't remember how, what the number was, but it was, it was laughable how bad he shot. It didn't, so make, the, it didn't make the final dance, apparently. No, that game got left out. No, probably. He probably got left out. But I remember that game, and he, and he just could not hit water if he fell out of a boat. And, and so everybody, even the best, have, have their bad days. And the thing about Gonzaga is you got to kind of hope for that. And the problem with that as well is that even if a guy like Suggs has a bad day, there's no saying Kispert won't, uh, you know, will have a bad day too. There's no saying that Timmy will have a bad day. That's what works in their favor. They really are um, such a tough team to pick against. Um, I thought the team that was the possible team that could really beat them would be Illinois. And now they're gone. Um, I just, it, it's really hard to pick against them at this point. I'm interested to see what Creighton can do because the analytics have liked the Blue Jays as much as they did throughout the year. Late in the season, they were a top 10 team. They might still actually be there. Um, actually, actually, they fell a little bit after their um, opening round game, but now they're at number 16. But I'm kind of interested to see what they can do. Their problem is going to be the size up front. Uh, two quick questions before we wrap it up. Uh, first being the tournament games are they added into your metrics and if so how like do they really offset things because uh you know of the quality of opponent you're gonna play well they i mean they get added in as the games get played so that yeah i don't freeze things as of selection sunday so it keeps updating and it's i love this stuff too because you know i wish this is why I wish college basketball would do things a little bit different. I wish they kind of have a little bit, some of these, these cross conference things a little bit closer to the end of the year, because it, um, I think a lot of these conferences kind of get stagnant in their positioning and our rankings. And then all of a sudden sure. the tournament comes and you start seeing a lot more movement because you're getting those cross conference comparisons that are being uh, created. So you see a team like USC all of a sudden fly up and now they're number seven in the country, Oregon was a team that was in the fifties back about uh, about a month ago. And even like two weeks ago, they were 37. They're up to 12 now just because of what they did against Iowa. And, and before that, you know, the, their performance down the stretch. So, um, you know, we do factor that in. And so a lot of people will look at it now and go, wow, you have USC at number seven and, <clears throat> and Oregon at number 12, you really called this tournament. No, it's kind of the result of what has happened in the tournament. So, I think USC was probably like 20, I don't know, in the 20s, um, 21, 22, 23, in that range before the tournament. But their recent performances, and especially their dominant performance against Kansas last night, that was a big a big boost to get them up in the top 10. And last question. Uh, I know it's a little presumptuous, but give me a final four here. Final four. I'm going to go with, uh, I like to throw this up. Let's see. I'm going to go Gonzaga against Alabama and I am going to go I'm going to go Houston against oh I'm thinking about I'm thinking about getting a little creative here I'm I'm, I I I almost want to say Villanova just to throw everybody I'm a monkey wrench in everyone's plans so maybe (laughs) I'll go maybe I'll go one two and two five and I'll go Gonzaga and Alabama and uh and then and then uh Houston and then Villanova being the surprise team that comes out of the, out of the South. People are going to be so mad at you that you didn't have the Ramblers in there. Oh, I know. I decide 
I don't know. It's, you know, they're, they're more than capable of doing it. I just, I think that Houston has all the pieces there. Another one of those teams. Yep. That, and that they, they were blessed with a, probably the best draw. Oh yeah. Pre games out of anybody. Absolutely true. I, I looked at that and then said, yeah, I mean, if Syracuse is coming out of that, that pot above them, and then you look at Clemson and Rutgers, two very unimpressive teams. Throughout the season, I thought West Virginia was overrated. The yeah. the, uh, the analytics identified them as such. Um, it's it set up very nicely for them to go to the Final Four. And that's, in fact, that's why I picked them to go to the Final Four um, and play Texas Tech in the Final Four. Unfortunately, the Texas Tech part didn't work out so well, but hope maybe the, maybe the, uh, the Houston part will. I think, I think you got a shot. Eric, where can people find you? And, uh, Get smart about college basketball. <laughs> you guys want to find me? I'm over at haslometrics.com. I got ratings. I got rankings. I got bracketology. I got and uh, I got uh, game summaries, automated game previews. Otherwise, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me out there going hashtag analytically final at at haslometrics. Yeah, and uh, just for our three man weave guys, Eric's wearing a really <laughs> beautiful three man weave hat. So shout out to Jim Root. Uh, if they're li- if they if they're listening, I want a black one, and I think they said that was next. So I'm I'm counting on a black one because the white one is great, but then I'm always like I can't wear it outside. I'm gonna get it dirty, so I need a black one that I can. You I know. feel like I feel like you have enough pull where you could DM uh, Kai or Matt or Jim and be like, hey, hook me up with a black one. <laughs> I got a I've I've got a buddy of mine saying I need some Haslametric swag, and <laughs> and so maybe I, then. Hey man, <laughs> hey some throw, but just do it like they did. I got, I love the three man weave. They did like an old school like script shirt, yeah. and it's like very seventies esque. Make it a throwback style, and uh, I think you got a winner. Three extremely hardworking guys, three extremely smart guys, three extremely uh, talented individuals who are have bright horizons ahead. They are my go to guys when it comes to the auto to the. Uh, to the game pre or the, I'm sorry, the, uh, the team previews before the season. I love their stuff. Um, can't say enough good stuff about it. Yeah. They're great dudes. Um, well, Eric, thank you again. Hopefully we'll catch you down the road. I wish you the best of luck this weekend. I hope all your bets hit, uh, folks coming up next week, big show from barstool sports coach Doug's will, uh, be stopping in. He'll be talking about how he, won some national championships and uh, his adventures at Barstool, which is a lot of fun. So for Eric, I am Stu. We'll see you after a while.